morning. How are we doing? We doing good? Awesome. Good to, good to hear. So I wanted to start this morning just by saying a quick word of prayer. Um, we are we consider it an honor to gather together as the church in this small community of believers here at Homestead Church, but we're a part of a global church today. Um, we are a part of a church of believers, Christian believers around the world. So I wanted to take a few moments and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan today and all that has been going on. We're a part of the Assemblies of God here, and so they sent out a kind of an update and then just a, an encouragement for all of us to pray. So we're going to do that, but I wanted to read kind of what they sent this week. And then what we're going to do in a moment, I'm just going to have us all pray together. And I would encourage you just to take a moment and pray with, uh, with your own words. Some of you, this idea of praying and praying, you know, speaking out prayers, praying to God is brand new. And I just want to encourage you, this would be a great time to just say, I mean, it's pretty simple. You're just talking to God. You're saying, dear God, I am asking for, and then as we think about all that our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through in Afghanistan, we just present our requests to God. So this is what the Assemblies of God sent out. Um, just as a call to prayer, and it'll be up on the screen. This was just part of the email that they sent out. We want to express our gratitude for the large-scale prayer response by our AG, Assemblies of God Fellowship for the Nation of Afghanistan. Your prayers are effectual. We are overjoyed to report that our workers have been safely evacuated. However, we must continue to pray urgently for Afghan believers as well as American citizens and soldiers who still face desperate and terrifying circumstances. News sources state that evacuations appear to be speeding up, but the Taliban's hunt for targeted people is intensifying as well. We urge Christ followers worldwide, that's us today, to stand with our Afghan brothers and sisters through prayer and fasting and financial support for ministry to Afghan refugees. Earnestly pray with us for the mighty hand of God to shield his people and for the Holy Spirit to impart supernatural power and peace, assuring Afghan believers that they are not forsaken. So we're going to do that as fellow Christ followers today. So I'm wondering, could we all stand just for a moment? And I think right now, could we just begin to pray? Um, and just on your own, just in your own words, just lift up these needs to the Lord. Lord, we pray for this community of believers. Let's just begin to present our request to God. Come on, let's be bold in our prayers today. Jesus, we need you. God, we lift up these brothers and sisters in Christ today. And I pray that your church would be strong. We know that there are times where we face, where people around the world face persecution for their faith. And we know that these believers in Afghanistan are, are facing that today. So Lord, as we were, um, as in this email that was sent out, we are praying for the mighty hand of God to shield your people. For small churches, for families, for believers who are in hiding, who are trying to stay away from the Taliban that are trying to hunt them down. Lord, I just pray supernaturally that you would cause roadblocks for the enemy, that you would cause people to be shielded from harm. Lord, I pray that your supernatural power and peace would be evident in their hearts and in their lives today. Lord, whatever, wherever they are right now, it might be evening time or nighttime, I just pray that they would have a full assurance of faith that your people around the world are lifting them up, that you have not forgotten them or forsaken them, that you are with them, that you are working with them. And I pray that your church would go stronger through this. I pray that you would be glorified through this somehow. We pray for your hand of protection and peace and comfort to be in everyone who is in harm's way today, Lord. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for praying. You can find a seat. 
We are uh, going to continue to pray, and I just want to encourage you. Again, I mentioned this already. Some of you praying, uh, you know, having a time of prayer, you're like, well, I don't know what to say. Well, you can talk to other people, so you can talk to God. So I want to encourage you this week. Take some time to pray for needs around the world, needs that our brothers and sisters are facing. It has been a, it's been a difficult week just hearing the updates of all these things, and maybe you're like me, where a week like this, not just with what's going on in Afghanistan or around the world, but even in our community, in our nation, or in your families, or something else that you're dealing with, there's certain weeks where it just feels heavy, right? Where it just feels like, oh, this is difficult. There are times when it feels really dark, trying. We begin to feel the weight of a lot of things around the world. We can relate to the Apostle Paul when he wrote in the book of Romans where all creation, all of creation has been groaning since the start of time. It's like the whole world, all of creation, all of humanity just recognizes this world is broken and there's just certain weeks where it just feels like that's more real, right? Can we agree with that? Oh, and we just feel that all creation, we join in that like kind of groaning, like, Lord, we need you. We know that this isn't right. We know that this world is fallen and broken. Um, we're going to be, if you have a Bible, we're going to look in Psalm chapter 4 today. Psalm chapter 4. And King David, wrote, writing this psalm, he echoed that sentiment that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, where I had mentioned uh, in Romans chapter 8, Paul, Paul wrote that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, like that idea that the world is broken. And then King David echoed this sentiment in Psalm chapter 4, verse 6. Psalm chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? If you listen to the cries of the people in our world today, there's a lot of people looking around saying, where is the good? Who will show us any good? There's all this stuff going on. We, you know, we've been in a trying season just in this nation, and then we hear about much, much more difficult circumstances being faced by people around the world. So we can agree with King David as he wrote that psalm thousands of years ago. Psalm 4, 6, many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance, O Lord. There's, you know, weariness and anxiety. People are, just in our community, people facing depression and division, violence, injustice, abuse, certainly around the world. Where is the good? But here's the good news today. This psalm that David wrote, Psalm chapter 4, that verse 6 that says, many are saying, who will show us any good? That psalm is a, a whole psalm talking about the reason for hope, the reason to recognize that there is good, the reason to recognize a perspective of hope and faith. We need to be the ones, Christians should be the ones around the world leading the way with optimism and faith and hope, even in the midst of difficult seasons, amen? Even in the midst of difficult times, we should be the ones leading the way with that perspective of hope. We should also take the side note here, this is for free right now, side note, we should also um, have a healthy perspective of what real persecution for the church looks like around the world today. And we should also have times where we complain less about some of our inconveniences when we recognize what people are facing around the world today. But Christians should lead the way with hope and faith and saying, you want to know where the good is? We will show you where the good is. This psalm where David in the midst of it says, who's going to show us any good? Things are messed up. It is surrounded by words of hope and words of instruction on how this idea of hope in God can make a tangible difference in our lives in the midst of really, really difficult times. Now, if you grew up in church, 
after a while, or maybe you're new to church and you think, well, it's just kind of lip service. We kind of just give the Sunday school answers like, where's our reason for hope? And in Sunday school, if the Sunday school teacher says, where's your reason for hope? The answer in Sunday school is always Jesus. Whatever the question was, you say, Jesus? Um, that's right. Gold star. You'll get like 80% on all Sunday school tests if you just write down Jesus every time. But we get to the point where we kind of think it's just kind of lip service, where you say, well, we go to church and we say, well, I'm feeling blessed today and we know our hope is in Jesus. But yet, does it really impact your life? When you walk out of church, are you kind of changed with that idea of hope where your countenance is changed, where your perspective is changed, where your faith is strengthened, where your gaze is upon God and you realize this makes an actual difference in your life. It's not just saying churchy things on Sunday. This is an actual difference-making thing in your life. So I want to look through this psalm, Psalm chapter 4 today. Kind of go verse by verse. There's only, you know, there's only eight verses, so it's not going to be that long. But I want to kind of go through and talk about this idea. David gives some great instruction here on how we can find hope in the midst of this turmoil, how we can find the good in the midst of the struggle. And he starts out Psalm chapter 4 with his prayer, starting in verse 1. And you can tell by David writing this that he's in the midst of a difficult circumstance. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This is David setting the tone. I'm going through a difficult time. Be gracious to me, God. Answer me when I pray. You know what we prayed this morning, and I'm encouraging you to pray throughout the week. Why do we do that? Because we believe that the God of the universe will answer us when we pray. That we believe that the prayers offered by us are going to be, as that email I read said, effectual. They are going to make an impact. They're going to have an effect on our circumstances. So David is doing the same thing. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And right away in the next verse, it seems like God is answering David back. And it seems like God in answering is kind of making a distinction between two groups of people here. So I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. It says this, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. God kind of makes the distinction there between two groups of people. And the first one, he said, how long will you, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? That's the first group of people that God is pointing out. There are those who are just going to live their own lives. There are those who are going to turn the honor of God into reproach by serving after idolatry, by running after the things in their own life, by following after the patterns of sin, by aiming at deception, by seeking their own gain. In other words, the first group of people that God is saying is, you've got a lot of people who are deciding to not follow after God, but instead be their own Lord, be their own God, to just say, you know what, God, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to follow after what makes me happy, what makes me feel good, what feels right to me, and I'm going to ignore the commands of God. I'm going to ignore that relationship with God, and I'm going to live for myself. That would be people who are putting themselves on the throne of their life, putting themselves set up as God in their life. That's the first group of people. But the other group, it says in verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. That's the other group. 
the Lord recognizes those who first and foremost will say, God, my relationship with you is of utmost importance. You are the Lord of my life. I'm not going to follow after the patterns of sin in this world. I'm not going to follow after all the ways that the world says that this is the right way to do it. First and foremost, I'm going to focus on you, and I'm going to say, God, I want this relationship to be right, foundationally, as the first thing, right? Does that make sense? So we're not going to be like those other group of people that say, that God would say, how long will you take my honor and turn it into a reproach? Another translation says, how long will you take the glory of God and turn it into shame by just living after your own life, your own sin, your own heart? But instead, all of us, the cry of the psalmist here is saying we need to make sure that we are godly, that we have the relationship with God as first and foremost in our hearts. Amen? Does that make sense? All right, so this is what uh, the first three verses of that psalm is. Now, when you read that, I don't want you to read that and think, well, God sounds kind of petty here. Like, you've made me mad, and so therefore I'm not going to listen to you. Like, he's got his fingers in his ears up in heaven. Until you do all the right things, I'm not going to listen to you. That's not what God is doing here. What God is teaching us through these words in the Psalm chapter 4, what God is teaching his people is to just remind us, when we face difficult times, David started out saying, God, I'm facing difficult times. I need you. Our first response should be, how is our relationship with God? How's my relationship with God? Not to be so worried about all the other surroundings and circumstances, but to set up our lives to say, God, you are first. We want to be godly and obedient to you. This is what the word of the Lord is teaching us today, that that relationship with him is of utmost importance. Amen? That's the number one thing. Now, Jesus would teach us the same thing. If you read the New Testament, he would tell parables about this. You've heard the wise and foolish builder parable, and he says, those who hear the commands of scripture or hear the word of the Lord, but don't do anything with it, well, they're like the foolish builder who builds their house on the sand. Um, in, the, in that time, it would be kind of the floodplain would be this very soft, sandy soil. It would be very easy to build a house. But of course, that would be very short-sighted because it's not a firm foundation. Eventually, the floodwaters are going to come back and wipe it all out. Jesus is, is teaching. This is what it is to build your life on something other than the commands of Scripture. But he says the wise builder is the one who hears the word of the Lord and puts it into practice. Their house or their life is built on Remember what it was? The rock, the firm foundation. When the flood waters come, when the winds blow, when the storms come, the house is secure. Your life is secure. This is what David is hearing God communicate to him in Psalm 4. This is the teachings of Jesus. When we face storms, when we face difficult things, I promise you, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today are leaning on the foundation of faith in God in the midst of their storm. And for those who don't have a faith in God, there is a depth of hopelessness. But when you have your life anchored in God, you know that this world is not our home. You know that there is hope coming. You know that there is good ahead for those who believe in God. This is the idea of primarily focusing on or of first importance, your relationship with God, having that commitment to God, putting him first in your life, making sure he is Lord of your life. The next verse in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. This is where we kind of get some of the instructions that how to go through these difficult times. It says this in verse 4. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. So the rest of this chapter that we're going to look at today in the few minutes we have left is this idea. 
God is giving instructions. David is writing down the, the words of the Lord here, giving us instructions for those who are weary in heart and for those who are facing difficult trials, how we can find the good, how we can have a heart that honors God through that. And the first verse there that I read, verse 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart and upon your bed and be still. Tremble and do not sin. That means rather than fearing everything going on around you, we talked about this in our last series, have a healthy fear of the Lord. Have a healthy honor and respect for the Lord. Have a healthy worship of our God. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate on God's word, on God's character, and be still. So in other words, make sure you are right with God. Meditate on his heart, his commands. Make sure you are right with God and then be still. Make sure you are right with God and in some cases, zip it, right? In some cases, make sure your relationship with God is right and then you don't need to worry about winning all the arguments. You don't need to worry about winning all the culture battles. This is the idea that, that David is writing here. Tremble and do not sin. In other words, when you're going through a difficult season, that is not a license for you to sin. When you're going through a hard time, that is not a, a, that's not like a hall pass for God to say, you know, just do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. This is a difficult time. There's no excuse for us to say, well, God, if you really loved me and you really wanted to follow me, you wouldn't let these difficult things happen to me. And I believe this, that when we're going through a difficult season, the temptations that we face, we, that, that difficult season will reveal to us the ways of sin in our life that we want to run to for medicating and comfort. Does that make sense? When we're going through a hard time, the things that we are tempted with are the things that we've probably set up in our hearts as a way of comfort other than God, as a way of medicating other than God. It might be chemical. It might be explicit images on the internet. It might be an, an inappropriate relationship with others, someone other than your spouse. It, the thing that you kind of are tempted with when you're going through a difficult season, that reveals kind of some of the idols that you have set up in your life. That reveals some of the places that you run to medicate, to bring comfort other than God. Does that make sense? And so we need to be mindful of that. But that verse four, tremble and do not sin. Don't take a difficult season as an excuse to sin. Meditate in your heart and on your bed and be still. Hard times should drive you closer to God. When you go through a difficult season, first thing that should happen is it should drive you closer to God. Time in your word, time on your knees in prayer so that you are setting that priority in your heart saying, God, first and foremost, I need to make sure my relationship with you is right. It's quite possible that in the midst of a difficult time, the most godly thing you can do, especially in our volatile, combative culture that we live in right now, it's quite possible that the most godly thing you can do is to just meditate on God's character, spend time in prayer, spend time in God's word, and then be still. Be still. It might mean zip it and don't try to post everything that you think or win the argument. Or it might just be still in recognizing you don't have to worry about these things. You don't have to carry that burden of everything that's going on in our world. You don't have to worry about all the results and everything like that. We're going to get more into that in the next verse. But I want to encourage you, if you're going through something difficult this week, or if you're burdened by everything going on in our world today, first and foremost, take some time just to meditate on who God is. Take some time to read the promises of Scripture, to recognize His goodness, and then allow that to be something that causes rest and stillness in your life, right? 
Just allow yourself to take a deep breath and say, I don't need to figure it out. I don't need to figure everything out. I need to make sure my relationship with God is strong, and then I can trust him to handle everything else. And that's really what verse 5 says. The next verse, it says this, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. In other words, what David is saying here in this psalm is, you do your part, and then you trust in God to do his part. Your part is what? Offer a right sacrifice. So what does that mean? What is a right sacrifice? When we think sacrifice in the Old Testament, it was bringing an offering or an animal sacrifice to God, to the temple. Now, what made a sacrifice righteous or acceptable to God? It was something that was of worth or of value. You remember Cain and Abel, you know, Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, the first murder in the, in the history of mankind in the Old Testament? Well, the first conflict started when they both, Cain and Abel, brought a sacrifice to God. And Cain brought something that was just kind of half-hearted. It was like, well, he, I have this leftover. I'm just going to bring this to God and offer this to him. Abel was the one who brought the, choi- the first of the flock, the best that he had. He offered God his best. And God said, I accept that sacrifice. I do not accept this offering from Cain. That was the beginning of the conflict between the brothers. This is the idea of a right sacrifice or a sacrifice of righteousness. It's something that is worth something. Giving God your best or your first. Giving God steps of obedience. Giving God those steps of righteousness. Taking something that you say, I know this is going to be difficult or I know this is going to be costly, but God, you deserve my best, right? You deserve the first and the best. You deserve my righteousness and my obedience. It's giving God your best. That's offering the sacrifice of righteousness. And then what does it say after that? And then trust in the Lord. So in any situation, your first response should be, I'm going to offer my best to God, and then I'm going to trust him. Offer God your best and trust him with the rest. That rhymes, right? That'll tweet. You can tweet that. Give God your best and then trust him with the rest. You want to know why we get so worn out sometimes? Is because we get these things mixed up. Where we're trying to do all the God stuff. Where we're trying to control all the outcomes. We're trying to manage the world and control all the people and manage everything. And things are, kids are struggling and families are struggling and there's conflict in the world. And we're trying to be God and make everything good. Of course we get worn out. We get worn out when we try to do the God stuff. Because we're terrible at God stuff. We are not good gods. We're terrible at being God. Where our response should be, God, I'm going to offer you my best. So what's your part in offering your life to God today? And then you can trust him that he's working and that he's going to handle everything. Then you can trust him that he is performing miracles and moving and working. And the situations in your family that you're worried about, you can say, God, I want to offer you my sacrifices of righteousness. I want to honor you with my life. I'm going to do my part and make sure this relationship is secure. And then I'm going to trust that you're going to lead and you're going to guide and you're going to work in my family and you're going to work in my kids as we, we carry burdens that we... We don't need to carry because God says, I'm going to work these things out. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and then trust in the Lord. We spend way too many days worried about outcomes that we have no control over. As much as we think we're powerful, we have no control over so much that we try to worry about. 
That's the God part. That's what he does. God is in charge of the outcomes. So I want, it, I want this to be a, a kind of a word of release for some of you today, feeling like you're worn down because you're just trying to manage everything. What if we just allowed ourselves to rest and be still and said, God, I just want to focus on you and my relationship with you. Make sure that I'm offering my best to you. And then in faith, believe that you are working in all these other situations. Anyone else like me that could just kind of use that deep breath of just rest today of God? We know that you're working. And so we're going to honor you first and we're going to trust you with the rest. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? Like we could use a little bit of that. If just the Christians in the world kind of had that change of perspective where we're not trying to control everybody, we're just honoring God and allowing him to use us to impact our world. Really, this is what we're supposed to be doing. That sounds good to me. Offer a right sacrifice. Seek him. Repent of sin in your life. Offer your life as a sacrifice to God. Draw near to him, and then he's going to do the rest. And then David wraps up this psalm with three verses, verse 6, 7, and 8. This is how we're going to wrap up today. I'll read these one at a time. This is what we started out the the service with, David saying in verse 6. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of thy countenance upon us, O Lord. And then verse 7 says this. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. What that means is there are times where circumstances cause us to be joyful and have gladness. This would be translation today as when there's money in the bank and food on the table and everything is going well, we feel glad because we can kind of be at peace. There's gladness in my heart because all the circumstances in my life are great. And what David is writing here is, you put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In other words, the gladness in our heart that comes from the Lord is better than when all the circumstances line up. So imagine in your life, Maybe there's something that you're fearful of or worried about or there's that one thing. If you're like me, there's always that kind of that one thing like, oh, life would be great if it wasn't just for this. And sometimes they can be really minor things, right? If just all the circumstances were good, can we just have one day with just all good circumstances we start thinking of, right? If we could just have one day where everything was good, I would be so happy. This is kind of the the pattern of thought we get tricked into thinking, right? Is it just me? I think that all, if we got just to get this or this thing that's stressing me out, if it would just go away, then I'd be so happy. And I want us to lean on the words of the Psalm chapter 4 today, where it says, God, you've put gladness in my heart that is separate from circumstance, that is more than when all the circumstances are good. When you think of anyone who has grain and new wine and all the things that are the the great harvest and money in the bank and all these good things. God, you have put gladness in my heart more than any of those things will provide. This is what David is saying. In other words, again, God, it's about you. If you want to know the source of gladness and joy in your life, it is about committing your life to God. And then the other circumstances will not have that effect on you because you'll say, God, in the midst of it, in the midst of a storm, you will cause gladness to spring up in my life. And finally, the last verse is this. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, makes me to dwell in safety. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. I love that 
I don't know if this was an intentional thing. I heard it as a very intentional thing. I love that there's a distinction between lying down and sleeping. Because how many of you know when you're stressed out, just because you lie down at night and turn the lights off doesn't mean sleep is automatic, right? In fact, those can kind of be some of the worst times where I get woken up at like 3 in the morning and had a couple of mornings like that this week where instantly I just feel like, like I'm, my mind is racing and I got to do this and this and this. And I'm like, here I am, 3 in the morning. I'd love to be asleep. I'm lying down in bed. The, the lights are off and I'm just, my mind is racing. Anyone been there? I love that. David writes that and makes that distinction. In peace, I'm both going to lie down and I'm going to be able to fall asleep. And I'm going to be able to rest. I love that distinction. This would be a great chapter for you to memorize just for those nights where you're laying awake at night stressing about everything. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. God, you have put gladness in my heart more than any good circumstance. I offer a right sacrifice and I put my trust in you. I think that's important for us. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. Because it, it is, first of all, we recognize that God is going to give us peace to be able to rest. But it also, it gives us permission to rest and to not worry about things. To be able to lie down at night and say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about everything over these next several hours as I try to sleep. Because I know that God is working. I know that all these circumstances are in way better hands when I am asleep because God's handling these things. I want to encourage you today, maybe today during the day, take a Sabbath rest and recognize it is not up to you to provide everything for your life. It is not up to you to get all the circumstances in order so that you can experience peace. It is up to you to offer the sacrifices of the righteous, to live for God, and then you can lie down in peace and you can rest and you can give yourself a break, and you can recognize, God, you are moving and you are working. This is the tangible benefit to living for God. This is an actual difference that faith in God will make in your physical life, in your physical body, being able to rest. This isn't just Sunday school answers and playing church. This is submitting to God's lordship over your life, to saying, I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. I'm going to submit to God. And then we see the fruit of that. Then we see how he changes your heart. Then we see how the joy of the Lord becomes more evident. Then we see how the peace of God in the midst of the storm becomes more evident in your life, right? Anybody who experienced that, when you have a faith in God, there is a tangible difference that comes into your life. Right, amen. This is what we get through faith in God. God, fill us with peace and joy today. With everything coming up over the next several months as a church, and with everything you got going on in your family and in your workplaces and a new school year starting, students, this is for you as well. I think it's just important for us to take a moment today just to kind of reset our commitment to God. Just to kind of reset. In the midst of all the turmoil and scary things going on in our world, what we get out of this Psalm, chapter 4, is this. God, first and foremost, I'm going to think about my relationship with you, right? First and foremost, where's my heart with you, God? I make you Lord of my life. I take myself off the throne of my life, and I just put you there, Lord. I want you to be in charge. I want you to rule and reign. I don't want to live for my ways anymore. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to just simply say, Jesus, I know that I've fallen short. I know that I'm a sinner, and I now confess my sins to you. And I make you the Lord of my life, which means I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. So I want us just to take a moment and just to do that, just to kind of look at our commitment 
for the Lord. When we talk about water baptism next Sunday, I would love to include you in this if you've never been water baptized. Now, here's what I'm going to say. There's one group of people here that I think the psalmist is talking to today. Um, I think there's a group of people here, or maybe you're watching online, that it's time for you to commit. It's time for you to commit to the Lord. Maybe you've just been kind of going to church, playing church. You come because your mom or dad said you have to go to church or you, you, know, you have friends here. And it's just kind of something that you kind of just check off the, the list on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I went to church and I'm, I'm done now for the week. I want you to think about your relationship with God and take a moment and commit. It might be time for you, maybe for the first time, to say, Jesus, I've never made you Lord of my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to do that. But what happens then next Sunday with water baptism, getting baptized in water isn't, doesn't make you a Christian. Getting baptized in water is just an outgoing, an outward um, show of faith in Jesus Christ. So if you made a commitment today to say, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life, we would love to include you in water baptism next Sunday. If you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you've never been water baptized, we would love to include you in water baptism. And really what we'll do is we have a little baptismal tank and we lower you into the water and that's symbolic of your old life, your old self, your old sin being gone, being buried with Christ. And then we bring you up out of the water. It's not that long you're in the water in case you're getting nervous. Some of you we hold under there just for an extra second because we know you might need it. We bring you back out of the water signifying new life in Christ, that Jesus is now Lord of your life and you live for him. So there's a group of people here today, and I think there's maybe some of you that it's just time for you to commit. I want to call you to commitment today and just to say this could be an opportunity for you to have that moment where you just say, yes, I'm in. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And then the second group of people, probably people here that are followers of Jesus, but you have maybe a co-ruler of your life situation going on where Jesus you say Jesus you're Lord of my life but I'm going to manage this or Jesus you're Lord of my life but I want to do things this way and and Jesus really isn't the Lord of your life or maybe you've just gotten used to kind of following your own ways or maybe you're a follower of Jesus but you're trying to carry everything on your own and manage your world and manage all the outcomes you're trying to do God's job and today might be a day where you just recommit to him and it's almost more of just like a rest like Lord I give up. I can't do this anymore. I can't carry these things anymore. I need you. I need you to carry these things. I need you to manage these things. I submit all of my cares and I cast my cares on you and I recommit to make you first and foremost my relationship with you of utmost importance and I trust you with the rest. So let's do this. Let's close our eyes just for a minute. And here's what I want to do. We're going to do this together and I don't. we don't usually do this as a church um, but I think there's Sometimes there's just an important moment where we have to do something to say, yes, I'm committing to you. So whether you're in that first group of people that you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus, or you're in the second group of people that you just need to have that moment of refocus and say, God, you are the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, and I've got my hand up because I'm in that second group. There's times where I, man, I try to manage everything and control everything, and Today, once again, I'm just saying, God, I just need you. So if that's you, you're one of those groups, just put your hand up with me. God, I need you. I commit to you. I want to follow you. You are the Lord of my life. So let's say this prayer together for those of you who are doing this for the first time. You can just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. 
I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again. So today I receive your salvation and make you Lord of my life. Amen. So Lord, I just lift up those who have their hands in the air. And I'm one of them today. Lord, I need you. We need you today. We commit to you today. We have got work to do as your church. We have a dark world that needs to be illuminated with the love of Jesus Christ. We have hurting people that need to, to, to experience hope and peace. With all the darkness in our world today, Lord, we need a church that is alive, that is focused, that is not um, half-hearted, that is not lukewarm, but is committed to you, that is following after you as the Lord of our life. So, Lord, we just we confess all the ways that we've tried to play God in our own life. We confess our need of you today. And once again, we just commit to you. We make you Lord of our life. We want to offer sacrifices of righteousness. So whatever that means for people here today, it might be a step of faith that you are asking someone to do. It might be a pattern of sin that you are, are asking people to give up. It might be a first-time step of salvation and committing to the Lord. It might be conversations and, and evangelism in the workplace or at school. You, you may have put in people's heart, Lord, you are putting in people's heart to share faith with someone in their neighborhood or in their workplace. Whatever it is that you're calling us to do, God, we will commit to you. Our sacrifice of righteousness will be obedience and trust and faith, even in difficult seasons. And I'm praying for the next season for this church, the people here today, for our students as they're going back to school in a few weeks. For the impact that you want this church to make in our community. I'm praying for the impact that you want on Wednesday night as people come for school supplies and a carnival. I pray that your kingdom would move forward. I pray for the impact that you want to have in all the schools this year, in our neighborhoods this year, around the world through global missions this year. Lord, we get to be a part of that. And so, Lord, we need a church that's alive. We want to be a church that is committed to you. So we commit to that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.